to. We don't have to. It's not Larry King, you know. It's it's chill. Two friends hanging out. Yeah. Well, I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> well, you're a celebrity. Our fault. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I forget. Nor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. A couple years. <laughs> I've been trying to get you here, and we're we're making it happen. Uh, sounds like you have some cool things on the books, so I'm gonna let you take a bite. Yeah, I mean, if I, I, I tried to avoid it, but uh, or I did my best to avoid it. But you know how you you think about what you're gonna say. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I thought about is I spend. I see a therapist every other week, and 90% plus of what I do with her during that hour, she gives me a full hour, is I tell her a story, mm -hmm. right? Story of the now, what's going on, and story of uh, my past, and you know. So she knows my story really well, yeah. but it took, without a hell of a lot of repetition, some, you know, for the emphasis points, but it's taken hundreds of hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stories are yeah. long and juicy. Yeah, and, and that's of course true for anybody. But, uh, uh, so yeah, whatever. But then I thought, that's one of the reasons I want to meditate a little while first, yeah. is I want to really sink, you know, sink and not talk any more from my head than is necessary. I'd like to talk from from the depths, and uh, hopefully you'll be also a guide, and I'll pay attention to whatever guidance you. <laughs> I love that intention and that direction. Yeah. Instead of speaking from the head, let's speak from the depths. Yeah. When this podcast is at its best, that's where we're speaking from. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just mentioned to you over dinner um, the idea of Dia Logos. Mm -hmm. That's one of the goals of this podcast is um, Nick in his own little universe can bring something to the table, nor in his own little universe. But when we get together, the dialogos, the, the combination, a third cooler thing can mm -hmm. emerge through dialogue, mm -hmm. through conversation, through the energetic connection. And um, pretty reliably, that happens about every single time. Oh, that's very so cool. I have a pretty good faith that it'll <laughs> happen this time. Um, if you want to start off with a meditation, with yeah, chanting, just a few minutes, a um, couple minutes of meditation because it always helps settle. And then uh, as we come out, I'll at least do an ohm or two, but um, if it feels appropriate, I'll do a little bit of improv. Okay. I, what I like to do with improv is I tap into what's happening. It's nice because when I do improv on my own, I, I find I'm re repeating a lot of the, the verses and the tunes and the words seem to, well, the non-words, it's, it's glossolalia, it's, you know, improv. Glossolalia. Yeah, it's like, um, so, uh, sounds that sound like language, but aren't language. Mm. Communicate something, but it's not. Yeah, and it's, well, it's, scat is a form of, you know, improv, but this is a little bit different. But I found a lot of people do it, and it has a name, vocal improv. I did it for years without knowing what the hell it was. Just because it felt right. I think I do it too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Vocal yeah. improv. Yeah, vocal improv is the general term for it. And uh, so what I do when I'm with an individual who I'm doing a session with, I tap into them 
And if I'm in a new space, I'll tap into that. So we'll just kind of tap into this moment with the with the with the fullness of the space. And what's interesting is something new, something novel, really does emerge in those conditions. And I'm always amazed at what what comes up. Uh, yeah. So it's not performance, though there is a little of that quality. Um, it's like we're working with any instrument. Once you be kind of master it, you're between action and non-action. So you're actually there, yeah. you know, and there's some, some mental sensibility of guidance. So it's not just free association. It has intention to it, but that also, if that starts to take over, it falters. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So well, yeah, I could do a little of that. You need to edit it out. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> See how it works. It's funny to because I Paul Lost option says verbal jazz. Yeah. I like to call this a verbal jazz duet. Yeah. So we could. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever exactly. this one comes up is yeah. all a part of it. So yeah, just a little settling. I really like meditating with other people. There's a potency to it that is quite amazing. I learned about sound was this idea 
as much as we go with it, are the chakras. Yeah. And that each of the chakras, which can also be just thought as parts of the body. I mean, you don't have to chakra it, but mm -hmm. there are concentrations. Um, and physiological correspondence to some of them, like the heart has, a lot of people know this already, but the heart has lots of neurological tissue in it. Yeah. There's all sorts of nerve plexi that seem to be literal thinking as parts yeah. of the body. Yeah. So, and people say, think with your heart. Or, yeah. You know, listen to your heart. There's yeah. actual neurological yeah. density and connection that's going into your yeah. physical heart. Yeah. And as much as, um, the witness is a, a real thing, which I feel it is. Um, like we talked about 1984 and the first realization early in the year was uh, a clar clarity of the witness. It was a pure full on witness. And I didn't, I mean, I'd heard about it and I'd had experiences. As, as, as the, the host, I have to say, not 1984 the book. <laughs> No, no, 1984, my year. 1984 yeah. in North University. Yeah, in my university. I mean, the book, you know, the book is, yeah. had a quality of affecting the year. <laughs> what had happened is I uh, got the intuition to follow my intuition. You're how old at this point? Well, I was born in 59, so 24-ish. Okay. Yeah, 24, 25. Born in 59. Yeah, I'm 16. older than the rock fourth year, I think. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I, um, there was a commitment. I never make New Year's resolutions. I mean, you know, the whole idea is absurd. <laughs> and now I've learned you just can't make resolutions of change anyway. That's, that's not how change happens for most of us. In any case, uh, I went, went with it. Something said, just follow your intuition this year. And I already had, you know, a number of interesting, fascinating things happened <laughs> through my life that uh, made that possible. And so I basically just did everything my intuition guided me to do. And it was a very, one of the more interesting years of my life. And the, um, I was at a gathering of people called the Radical Fairies. It's uh, basically an open spiritual gathering or group of uh, gay men and back then it was a very potent uh, thing because it was new it was fairly new fairly novel because gay men hadn't found a non-secular way to get together spiritually so it was all sorts of including agnostics and atheists and some even free christians you know lots of pagans of course and people like me who you know eclectically move in and out of different religions yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've made commitments to religion and stuck with things and or practices, guru practices. It just, when I make a commitment, I've, I kind of become that mm. practice. Yeah. And that's really committing. <laughs> well, it, that's the way it just, that's my tendency. That's my, and uh, uh, as the decades wore on, I learned that I could do that without, um, I get lost in it, but then something would open again, and I move out of it naturally. And I got pretty lost a few times. Sometimes not always to what seemingly was beneficial, but it always kind of seems to flip itself over. Yeah. Um, that's a long story because there must have been twenty of those I get involved with. <laughs> 
I will say the last one that I'm committed to fully, which started maybe seven years ago, <clears throat> I was sitting in Pete's, back when I could, you know, we could sit in Pete's, and it was my, Pete's my coffee, bar. Yeah. Pete's Coffee in Northgate, there we go. one corner of the place, and I'm ruminating on how my life is going nowhere. I feel useless and purposeless and gosh, gosh almighty, here it goes again. And uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, peeking out on that. And then not to spare, like more like the, you know, the cottony one yeah. that you can't go anywhere with. Yeah. No juice. Yeah. Wow, there's no juice. And the little voiceless voice, I won't say it was a voice voice, because though I have occasionally heard voices, this one was a strong voice without words. Mm. Said, Those are my favorite kind, yeah. yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, said, literally said, you can pray, or you can still pray. You can still pray. Or I might have just said you can pray. And the way, the way spontaneous practices work is you don't think about whether to do it or not. If you have the opportunity, you start right there. And it wasn't foreign to me, you know, it wasn't. So I, the prayer was I simply put out positive energy into like a kind of Tonglen. A lot of Tonglen arose in the next few years, but just Tonglen, kind of, can you? Tonglen is um, um, a Buddhist practice of drawing in the negative, qualities and then breathing out the positive qualities and it's surprisingly powerful yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and without even thinking about it your body just seems to do it and it's it's counterintuitive because you think if you're drawing in goop you know you're gonna become goop mm -hmm. but that breathing out of, of something positive and integral um, opens it up in any case I wasn't exactly doing Tonglen at that point but I was breathing out just a sense of positivity into the and just flipped immediately. Everything flipped. And that started <clears throat> a commitment, which has continued the last seven-ish years. Uh, there were a series of meditations that arose. Um, there were a series of contacts. But at that point, it was the whole be your own guru thing. And I knew that there was never going to be a time again well, as much as anybody can know anything, but it, it, it was a heartfelt sense. There was no longer a need to commit fully to or an external, external practice or, yeah. or person, mm -hmm. that the internal suffices. And what I've, what I've looked at is everybody that's uh, authentically realized on whatever level or not, apparently almost everybody does this. I'm not tooting my own horn exactly. <laughs> You know, I don't want to shy, I don't shy away from the reality, even if it sounds egotistic, you know, yeah. even prideful. I've learned to be okay with a certain amount of pride mm -hmm. in context. I like, um, speaking of Mike Z, his mm -hmm. guru before Paul, uh, um, Fred Davis. Oh yeah, yeah good yeah, old Fred. I, I, he's been on the podcast. Oh neat. I did a podcast with him. Fred, I did a podcast yeah, yeah, with Fred, that's great. Yeah, over Zoom. Yeah, um, with, that's how that's how Fred does it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and he often says, "I'm just reporting." Right. I like that a lot. The yeah. Whole, getting around the whole, it might sound egotistical. It might sound self-serving. I'm just reporting. I'm just reporting. And that resonates with me too. Yeah. Of like, 
I'm just reporting and then I'll say something that someone could take as, oh, he's tooting his own horn. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. being as honest as I can of what the experience is right. from this subjective, you know, vantage point. And so I think that's where you're speaking from. It's, well, it's, yeah, it's more honest. See, sometimes it's more honest to say things like self or pride or take credit because the opposite is a resistance. And I found that the biggest, the biggest obstacle in my practice, and I do observe this in a lot of people, is subtle to overt resistance while thinking you're not resisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the little trick of the mind. Yeah. Of, I- I'm going to purposefully not resist this. It's yeah. a huge resistance. Yeah. yeah, and so many practices have subtle or overt resistance. And I'm not saying resistance is wrong either, because disciplines sometimes take a kind of focus. And I'm big on discipline when it's appropriate. And I don't think, I think most of us need, you know, a degree of that. Years of meditation, uh, commitment to an art project, learning how to sing. You know, it takes, it takes thousands of hours of practice for something to integrate. So, in any case, um, that started a practice that it's it's kind of <laughs> deep peak. <laughs> its depth was became expressed in something called matter meditation. Matter matter meditation. meditation. Mm-hmm. So I even created a website. You know that you I don't, that I use. I, I don't use it. I never did. We're use gonna it. link it in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't help because I've never done anything on it. Okay. It may happen. I mean, mattermeditation.com was available. It was. <laughs> Actually, I think it might be nor matter meditation. Okay. So, in any case, the, uh, the, um, the practice is simply being aware of your perceptual self, somatic self, mm-hmm. and through consciousness, through being, pressing, it's a literal pressing at the time, and I think it still had this quality, it's still pressing consciousness into what we perceive as the density of matter, really pressing it in. Well, when it started, the first time I did it, I had these kriyas that just blew my body up. I just like, see what happened is I knew something was coming on at Pete's. This is years years after what I was just telling you, (laughs) another Pete's thing. Pizza was a big deal <laughs> at the time. I you had know. some spiritual experiences at Pete's too. So yeah. You know, yeah. Some well, like we said, you know, some of our best meditations are driving. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing how yeah. these things yeah. kind of work out. Um, so I followed my, you know, a guidance and I went to a place I'd never been before, which is an open space um, on Blackstone Road in um, uh, North Marin, North Carolinda. Um, and I just, you know, I just drove there spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Walked in, wasn't a long walk. Sat on a bench they happened to have there, and then started the matter meditation. And I went to these kriyas that were just, you know, blew me up. So something at that point had been initiated, and it was a kind of final point, you know, to this, to these practices. And when I started my little group with Mike. Um, it was called that, you it was know. Called matter meditation. Yeah, and I did a, you know, I did a, did a, what's it called? That group, that thing where you group met, meet up. I did a meet up, mm-hmm. and you know, a little, you know, got some response, but not too much. 
Um, and it's not that I haven't transcended that practice per se. There's various integrations that happen with matter meditation. I think that that is something that I haven't seen people do yeah. that way before. I never heard anything like it. I'm into this shit. Yeah. And just that little moment where you said press consciousness yeah. into matter, I felt, oh shit. Like, yeah. I'm on camera, so I didn't want to go <laughs> too crazy. But yeah. There's something very juicy there. Yeah, it's, there's something about it that's a recognition of a number of qualities simultaneously. And there's, like I said, it's integrated now, so um, everything, everything that's the most useful in my practices now does involve a beginning that you know, people do a lot of somatic work and a lot of emotional work and a lot of different things. And I found for myself, and I think this is somewhat universal from what I can tell, is if you don't start with presence, so you, you start with whatever realization or presence you have, and, from, and I did find as I was showing other people this, uh, these practices, you had to actually start with a somatic sense of your presence. So it had to be, it had to be in the body, or at least in a proprioceptive sense of, of you being here, as presence, mm -hmm. and then, then move into uh, the next phase, and I may or may not go into what those things are, um, but the point being, um, that somatic sense is a beginning, that grounding in the body, it's, it's a record, part of it is it's a recognition that that's our primary nature, so don't start, you know, it doesn't hurt to start with the painful emotion, but to always go back first to that presence, like however that. people define it, like yeah. That. And I did learn from Linda, a teacher named Linda Clare about this somatic meditation that I think is was probably a Vipassana practice. She mm -hmm. studied Soto Zen, Rinzai Zen, Vipassana, she did a lot of these things before she, and she's another, she's a person that um, is willing to recognize that she's enlightened, she uses the word enlightened. That's rare, you know, a lot of people shy away from using it. Um, and she points to how it happened and she could describe it pretty well. Anyway, I learned that meditation from her, uh, which I like to think, I think it's just a basic vipassana, you know, being aware of your body and then being present in it. Um, and we'll get back to the witness thing in a second. <laughs> Hey, but this is present time. See, this is this yeah. is what's this is present time. This is present time, and this is what's coming up now. My now process, yeah. you know, so to speak. These are the things that are integrated in. Like I don't I, this. I go through phases where I'll do formal practice, a lot of formal practice, um, once or twice a day, twenty minutes to an hour, you know, with involving. It'll involve various things, whatever meditation practices I'm into at that point, usually very, very simple. Also, I'll put a little note here. After you've practiced, after you've practiced a number of years, you, you find yourself being able to move into these stations or states of consciousness without a mantra yeah. or a tool. So, so I was just writing yeah. about this today. Yeah. It's very interesting. You brought up prayer. So you're yeah. sitting at Pete seven years ago, lost, what do I do? 
and then a, a voice that wasn't a voice said you could pray. Right. So this that morning, catalyzed. Yes. Yeah. This morning I was writing an article for mm -hmm. my my LSB laughing still Buddha, <laughs> and uh, I was writing about prayer, and I was right. I was finishing up uh, uh, something about prayer, which yeah. Keith. You remember Keith Thompson? Yeah. yeah he, yeah. he used to come talk. He he reads everything that I write. I'm so, oh, that's so I'm, sweet. I'm so, so that's honored because cool. he's a professional published author um, and he gives me feedback and he said one time you know hey it occurred to me today during my run he runs you know these you know five ten mile runs <laughs> he goes uh you should write about prayer mm. and i said oh that's really cool and actually you're involved in that too because that um that sot song we had gone to before we went to coffee or no we were at paul's house and somebody was talking about their big Dilemma in their life, their big personality flaw, and this, this, and that. Oh, that woman. Yes, and you, <laughs> and you said something which I've remembered, and I thought of today when I was oh. writing about prayer. When you said, "My prayer for you is that you find healing in that," or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing you say that and going, "That's cool. I like that framing." My prayer for you is this. And people have baggage. It's what part of what I wrote about today. People have baggage around the word prayer, right. whatever religious background, whatever you know, guilt, whatever the hell it goes. Oh, on. like praying for your baseball team to win. It's so funny you say that too. Synchronicities, because I wrote in my article that's coming out tomorrow yeah. morning. Uh, I used to pray for, pray for as a kid, for protection, for security, and to make the baseball team. <laughs> and to make the baseball team. Yeah, well, that's see, that's, yeah, that's yeah. qualitatively different. Though. Of course, yeah. you know, it's not a specific team. It's a it's a way of opening a line of in, in yeah. your life. Yeah, right? I mean, we could take a quick little side note. I I know we'll keep you on track here. Yeah, I'm going to take you back to 1984, by the way. Right, I'm a good host. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, just talking about prayer a little bit, um, part of what I was arguing in the article was prayer to me. I think the title I put was prayer, a conversation and connection to a higher power. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of putting the point across that, you know, you can be an atheist, you can be a non-believer, you can be a, a agnostic, run the empirical mm -hmm. experiment of prayer. Mm -hmm. Because it's all kind of a personal thing. Right. It's all, what is what is the ego? What is this sense of a separate individual, small self that's alone and isolated in the world, right? And what is that sense of consciousness of everything that is expressing through this story that we call this individual self? Right. And to me, prayer kind of marries those two in a really cool way. And it's a practice, as you were getting at, something you can repeatedly do and practice and that you were saying at a certain point you don't need the cue you sort of paul talks about this it's like uh you have a headache you have a headache you don't really notice the moment the headache's on mm -hmm. you just and all of a sudden you go oh the headache's gone when did that happen <laughs> right that's something that can happen with prayer as i move my neck and <laughs> yeah. open the head <laughs> that's something i've found just reporting uh -huh. can happen with prayer and meditation where i go I was saying in the article, being prayerful. Instead of praying, mm -hmm. instead of Nick is going to pray, you find yourself being prayerful. Instead of sitting down to meditate, which I've done 
not bragging to me. <laughs> Every day this year since January 1st, I've nice. done 10 minutes of meditation. Nice. It's, it's, and it's a streak that it feels weird to end at this point because <laughs> I'm almost at the end of the year. <laughs> but that's 10 minutes first thing in the morning. And I find often throughout the day, I'm being meditated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there was no intention, there was no thought. It's like, a whoa, the headache's gone. It's like, a whoa, I'm being meditated. And, you know, out hiking in nature, even in work, even in chaos, these, you step into this, this meditative state without any intention. You step into this prayerful state yeah. without any intention. And that's a step of practice. A step yeah. of practice is when it becomes by a, a, a habitual. Yes, it doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, the intention and not, has to be there in the first place. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's not prodigies, you know, there's prodigies in various things Uh and and that's a special case, but people aren't special cases, people are just people, (laughs) you know, and even if you are a prodigy, it doesn't mean you're not missing big parts of your life. I mean, one of the problems with being a prodigy is you may miss other aspects of of activity because you get so focused on the thing you're good at, which is one of my biggest failings. You know, what do you feel that you're a prodigy in anything? No, not a prodigy. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd say, though, one of the qualities um, that I do find fairly rare that I, you know, would, would be the most, what I'd consider the most special aspect of my, my, my contribution to the world is a combination of a deep logic, deep love of logic, rationality, factual facts, which of course includes science and math, maths, as the English say, and, um, and a deep commitment to the metaphysical, the spiritual, and a weaving of those two together, because I do find most people seem to be somewhat deficient in either of those and what ends up happening is um, well how I've been thinking about it lately is when the psychic field starts coming through intuition and and stuff you're more vulnerable to the illusions of the psychic mm. like I'll, I, I, I can move into psychic readings channelings you know I could channel a lot of stuff if I don't look back afterwards and say, well, how much of that was I talking about fact and how much of it was I telling a story that's from a more mythical standpoint and then I'm not owning that. That's really kind of how charisma starts taking over. I can get very charismatic when that's happening. And when there's no checks and balances, whether it's internal or external, it can run amok. Yeah, and you get an audience, you know, and then you're just like, you know, I'm, cult. You, I got a cult. <laughs> Take it that far. Well, if we talk, you know, however much we talk about 1984, that's actually something that came up oh. around that. Uh, I, so uh, this is a little bit. You ever seen the movie Memento? Where oh, it yeah. goes out of sequence. Yeah, I've only seen it once. Okay. But I, though, I had a kind of realization after seeing that movie. Oh, interesting. Because one of the qualities of Memento is we have no advantage over the guy. If we saw it from beginning to end, oh, we saw wow. a timeline from beginning to end, we'd have this huge it. advantage over him, right? Yes. But by seeing it from his viewpoint, 
yeah. were in his shoes, so to speak. Yeah. And that made the film work. Wow. Yeah. Damn, that was, that's a very interesting realization. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of compassion that gets to arise from yeah. that. Yeah. And even though, you know, it has an interesting, painful, twisted end, it's still, you know, a cool, a cool thing. So this podcast is going to be a little bit like Memento because we <laughs> we started in the middle. Yeah. We went to the end. There's <laughs> more to explore at the end. Yeah. But now we sort of ended up back in the middle and I'm going to take you back a little bit further because we were talking a little bit about... One quick thing about Memento, by Please, the way. Yes, yes, yes. I told you earlier that I have, you know, one of my strongest inquiries is what is will, what is offer Free will. Free, well, I've never used free will yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah. but agency. Uh-huh. You know, what is agency and how much is that uh, anything? And somehow, in moment, after seeing Memento, I got this strong sense of how wonderfully important agency is. It just, like, hit me. And it wasn't exactly a realization. It was just, like, a kind of quality of, how wonderful it is that we have a sense of agency. Mm, appreciation. Yeah, because that guy was a victim. He, it's not like he didn't have agency, but in the context, he wasn't able to really express any kind of true agency. He was fully manipulated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ultimately, I think by himself, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I see it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's kind of, kind of Groundhog Day in reverse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So what were you? So I was going to take you back because we we're talking about your unique contribution. You're not saying that you're a, a prodigy, but there, you have a not really. certain inclinations. Because we were talking over dinner, you're talking going all the way back to being six years old in, right. in West Sac. Yeah, West Yes, growing up, um, you had an inclination for this stuff pretty early on. Can we yeah. talk a little bit about six-year-old more? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, one of the words I like to use is numinous. I think that's a nice numinous. Numinous. Yeah, yeah. The Jungian. I think it, I think it's a Jungian. It was used by Jung, and I I don't really um, know remember the origins of it. Blake. What's his name? Something Blake. William Blake. William yeah. Blake, yeah. Yeah. So that sense of something beyond our limited self that you know really is a, a true sense. And as it integrates or as it unfolds, we call call it things like realization, waking up. My best, the best word I like lately is realization. Yeah. I like that sense of it being a new form of reality. Yeah, I, I love it too. Yeah. It's yeah. real. And yeah. it, it's reality not being this. Keith and I talk about this a lot because writing about this as it go, regards to UFOs and <laughs> and uh, 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 para- paranormal stuff, mm-hmm. but that reality isn't this fixed thing. We think reality stops at matter right. or stops at you know physics. And reality, if you look across human history, everything it's ever expanding. It's ever and so a realization. I, I again relate to something being real is you're seeing reality at a new depth, mm-hmm. maybe at an expanded depth. Mm-hmm. at a deeper depth, however, you know, you want to visualize it. So all that is to say, I like realization. Yeah. Too. Yeah, and the, I would say in the context of the kind of 
world of exploration, because as, as you, I'm sure you know, scientists are trying to find the source of consciousness, either in, and there's a lot of different theories of consciousness, including the one that consciousness is previous. That's the you one know. that's funny. Just talking about Keith, we did a whole yeah. podcast on that. That's what I, yeah. I'm putting my money on that. <laughs> well, I'd say it's both. I had a, because you have realizations and then you have insights that approach realization. And I would say I did have an insight quite a while ago that consciousness could also be called an energy. Because it has this variability. It's like a jigsaw puzzle that can make itself fit the jigsaw. It's not previously formed, mm. but it fits into the jigsaw and it's the puzzle itself but it still has a kind of detailed aspect to it. And it still has a, a, a it, there's an as, there's a way in which consciousness is a, is, is a primary motivator, as well as being a, 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 just a simple sense of being, mm. you know? It, there's, there's more to- when, when you say primary motivator, do you mean like there's a intention to it or a drive to it? Well, you know, one of the possible intentions is for consciousness to increase externalization of consciousness through sentient beings uh, and sentience and arts and music uh, and communication. Greater depth, greater detail. Is a primary aspect of the cosmos. I mean, we have only explored this little corner for a little bit of time but the things that we have seen and the possibilities we've seen are tremendous. And, and, and the fact, the tautological fact, okay, is that if something is experienced, it's real. Everything experienced is real. It's real in a context, but it's still real. And it is possible, it's very tautological, that maybe somebody else will get an aha from it the way I got an aha from it probably about eight months ago now is the cosmos has a potential for the experiences we're having. So if we have these expanded senses or these grounded senses of being, at very at least the consciousness, the, the cosmos has the, this is the cos, cos, cosmos we live in, yeah. which is the ability to see these things. And then the supposition past that is if we've seen as far as we have, there's every possibility that will just keep going. Mm -hmm. It's not some transhumanist gobbledygook. It's an actual understanding. So the, the key, the, the, what I was saying earlier, what I was getting to earlier is what I'm finding is the key and the self-inquiry that makes the most sense to me for most of us is how far have we gone past belief and faith into knowing? What do you really know? Okay. And so that we can go back to 1984 now, actually. So I had that realization of the witness. I don't remember how many, I don't think it was more than a few hours. Um, it was exactly how, you know, we've been told about it, the observer observing the observed ad infinitum and participating while being observed. All right, this is so good. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> linger here a little bit. Because <laughs> you just hit us with some real good 
yeah. heavy non-dual stuff. Yeah. Observing the observed ad infinitum. What did that feel like using the limited tools that we have of language? Right. What did that feel like subjectively? Absolute peace. Perfection. It was like identity itself and everything having to do with identity was affirmed. Mm. Like I said, it only lasted full on for a few few hours, but ever but it it something in it took. Where and were, never, where was Nora the, the body? It was just hanging out in this group of, with group, just a group of fairies. It might have been during dinner or something, you know. Did yeah. someone say something that triggered it? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I don't have that good. Uh, uh, I could, you know, I'm not a good good at recording this stuff and naming it. I appreciate people that do. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm just yeah. the story of it. I'm mining. Well, let's just say that as far as I can tell, it can happen at any time to anybody in any circumstance. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of people get it when they're in great pain, you know, yeah, and then there's a sense of the pain continues, but I'm able to see it and experience yeah, it distance. at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the drawback to the observer, I mean, the witness is, is the infinite regress. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of work with the witness in various points of my body. I found a few years ago. You really can, like I'm doing it right now, sinking into my belly. And instead of talking and feeling from my head, now I'm feeling from my head for a second, and then now I'm actually here. Well, it's, it's, I can hear the difference. Talking. Voice. And, and the voice changes. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then you can, uh, this is a good place to do it. This is very powerful practice, is to find your witness in the heart, yeah. your identity self, your, your authentically observing self, and then to release that. Just release it. And there's no longer an observer. There's no longer a witness. It's just being itself. And then go back to the witness and focus. And allow the focus to happen. And you can play between those two states. And the very least that tells you is your need. You're neither the expanded, fully expanded consciousness nor the witness. Both are aspects of each other. And because you clearly can't stand it either. Yeah. yeah. And you know, they blend and they work together and stuff, but something, you know, there's something deeper that integrates all of those. So, yeah, the first realization in 1984 is of the witness. And then a few months later, after a series of practices and intuitions, like I said, I followed, um, and I certainly will not go into those because there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> A lot of stuff, and I, and also we'll, I don't we'll want take to the realizations. Well, yeah, and the and the thing is, if you start naming the practices exactly. you do, you yeah. start you start focusing on oh, it's that practice that did it, or that you know, and that's not how it works. I agree. How it works is find your way through your intuition and your heart. At an intuitive level. Yeah, and, and when it comes from within, and it gives you something to do. Then it's simply a matter of whether you do it or not. I yeah. guess I didn't fully say that, but I, that was what happened with the prayer thing. It's like I, I heard either it. do it or don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I heard it. When when you get those senses, yeah, it's it's funny. Again, I was writing it today, so it's very part <laughs> of my mind. Prayer. I, I wrote in there that like prayer doesn't mean like 
Giving your life up to a higher power doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch and wait for the higher power to handle everything. <laughs> like, right. Often it's the opposite. Often when you give your life up to a higher power, the higher power says, okay, you, your job is to do some fucking work. Guess what? It yeah. always does that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It always does yeah. that. The only difference is you remember that you gave something. Exactly. You know that you have, you know, you know that the, the, the um, the step is to release it and give it to something that has deeper wisdom, whether it's yourself or an external. I, you know, I don't think there's any question that there's some external forces going on with these things, whatever, and it's more than the collective consciousness. I think it's even more than God. I think there's a divine quality that is an emanation of the absolute that is able to assist us. Yeah. Through grace and through a number of different things. Called the mystery. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mysterious. Very powerful mystery. But it's an, but it is also an active force. It is, from what I've felt of it and experienced of it, um, is the closest thing there is to an active force. It is also rested in the absolute itself. Mm. So that's why it's godly, you know, or divine. That's just where I'm at with these things. And you know, that's stuck for a while. So, um, in any case, uh, a few months later, I was uh, reading this channeled material by Seth on and off. I, uh, I was staying at a friend. I was pretty much a vagabond at that point. Didn't really have a home, but I had a friend that I was, it gave me a... We're a few months into 1984? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't... Actually, well, you know, actually, 1984, I think I did have a home over on uh, Alcatraz Street. Oh, over here? Yeah. I grew up on Alcatraz. Interesting. Alcatraz in California. Yeah. Yeah, I was right at the border. I was near the BART station. Oh, by uh, Ashkin. Yeah. That's my, that's my hood, man. Yeah. That's where I grew up. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite a hood. <laughs> it, is. it was in a very old apartment complex that had, had been used by this very powerful gay guru. Oh. For years, and he moved out, and I moved in. So I think that my the chi of that place might have, uh, you know, affected me as well. Yes. In any case, uh, I, do, I think I was over at my friend's house in San Francisco, though, which I still spent a lot of time there. And uh, he had all this stuff, and I was into it. I was, uh, you know, getting what I could from it. And what happened? So as I remember it, I was. There was a kind of inquiry happening, very, very subtle at that point. It was about death. It was about a being like Seth. And if people don't know who he is, look him up. Jane Roberts is Seth. Um, he's one of the more authentic channeled channel material. It's early channel material. Did he write any books? He yeah, he wrote tons of books. Okay. She's dead, of course, now, but there are all sorts of groups that follow Seth stuff. The main thing that was, the, the thing that was happening was I had had lots and lots of psychic experiences. I had been doing Jinshin for 20 years, and in Jinshin you actually feel, physically feel the energy moving through people's bodies. You know that the chi is real because you just really literally feel it. And and those of us that work in these fields, we know that psychic forces are real. You know, whatever their drawbacks, they do exist. We sometimes 
know a future event before it happens, there's telepathic experiences. Um, and then the etheric, you know, which is kind of what you could say between the physical or the material and the psychic, mm -hmm. you know, is more the chi, the body chi and stuff. So all these things had built up. Um, I'd been a Christian at least twice, been saved, let go of it, which atheist, your answer book, and writers of will books, you know, and really you got into these, all these things. You're committed. I was committed, un, you know, and I was never uncommitted. What I learned kept. But what you think? Well, th that's a cool quality that you can go all in on something, that you can commit yeah, to something. It worked for me. Yeah. You know, it, I, when you do it, because so here's the tension, right? You forget. I, I literally forgot for a period of time my resistance. Or so I, or I, at least I felt that I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a cool quality because the tension is this. When you go all in on something, maybe we grew up religious, right. Christian, right. sort of, you know, uh, some sort of fundamentals Christian is pretty apropos for an American, <laughs> right. American right? right? And you, you get disillusioned, you realize it's bullshit, you right. realize you were lied to. You tend to not go all in on the next thing. The average person. We'll that say, right? makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a protector. You're protected. Protective, right? Exactly. Yeah. I've been fooled once. I don't want to get fooled yeah. again. You're going to guard your heart. And all yeah. that. So it's it's funny. It, it, again, when I said guard your heart, it makes you think of relationships. People that fall for one person and fall for the next. Right. It seems like you could really fall for a system for a for for a absolutely system. That's a pretty cool quality because, and as you fall for it. What's the average amount of time you got to the point of like, okay, I'm gonna take the good, I'm gonna leave the not so. I'd say it usually was about three years. Mm -hmm. Feels pretty. Yeah, pretty it was. Like, I mean, it varied. Yeah. I don't really think you can do immersion with too short a period of time. Maybe some people can, but it took. Yeah, to immerse in two months would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, there, there. You know, when the phase would happen, it would really happen. And the first one was Baptist. Baptist. I was had an authentic spiritual experience within the Baptist Church. And what age? Eight, I think. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, eight. But it might have been ten. But it was early. What you were know, your parents? my parents were uh, expressly agnostic. So it was my grandmother, my mother's mother. Yeah. Well, I carry her wedding ring around with me. Uh, yeah. So I could it connects me to my ancestral around. line. There we go. Yeah. 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 Um, so she was the one who brought it, so I had an authentic... You had a real Baptist conversion. Adrian. I had a real Baptist conversion. I felt the descent of the Holy Spirit. I gave, <laughs> gave it up to Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit, and got baptized. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, I actually did that twice over. I did it again a few years later. So, you know, I was out, but then I got back in. But I had done, you know, converted to a number of things. I mean, I was a witch and an atheist and a few other things between there. So when you're, you know, I mean, it's developmental periods are shorter when you're younger. <laughs> so I suppose I could spend a year and a half <laughs> and still get it. I don't think I was an atheist much more than a year. <laughs> but I was a good atheist. I was a solid atheist. I remember telling some people how I was an atheist and they were arguing with me. And I'm like, nope. 
what did the break what reminded me of is the break that happened as I'm sitting in church and hearing this stuff about the great patriarch, this great God, and even a little bit of his angry stuff. And I'm sitting there and thinking, I got one of those at home. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing here worshiping this break breaker of families? This alcoholic I mean he was a great guy in many ways, but he was an alcoholic breaker of families, you know? You know, a little you know, a little abusive. Um, that my mom told him she she was the abuser in the in the household and he, she took on all that. Yeah. The beating things. Mm-hmm. He tried to beat us once and he said she said, No, I'm I'm the one that don't beats. touch those kids. Yeah. I'm gonna beat them. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's and it broke. It broke just like that. You know. And it broke into atheism, which was the most appropriate thing. I think I was also taking a course in evolution at uh, in, in elementary good. school. Yeah, I think it was fifth grade, and there was a class called classification evolution, which was um, back then they were just starting elective, you know, so it was an elective. You could choose to take uh, evolution. Yeah. yeah, so I took classification evolution, so it helped, you know. I think it was they tied together. In any case, uh, that was yeah. So there's been a number of authentic conversions. Even there's been where you know just a lot had happened. But mid 1984, what happened is, um, like I said, there's this kind of subtle inquiry that recognized, oh, Seth is saying is a dead guy. He's a he's a being without a body. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I realized. It didn't, I didn't really quite believe that. And I realized I didn't really quite believe anything. This is a very good practical question. Uh-huh. Seth was channeling through someone? Jane Roberts. Jane Roberts. And then writing all this. She was writing all this stuff. She was writing all Seth. Yeah, but stuff. she was mostly an unconscious channel. Got it. He would come through her and write all this. And she wouldn't remember it. No, she'd have to read it before she okay. could get it. Okay. And then she wrote her own stuff, too. Just, just for practical Yeah, practice. a lot of it was, you know, psychic explorations, many worlds theory. They were going off on many worlds theory, timelines, probable realities. Multiple dimensions. Yeah. yeah. It's just some good stuff out there. Very good. Okay, now, because that was very juicy. Yeah. So you realize, I don't really believe this. So I saw the landscape of my disbelief. <laughs> That's a very good thing. Felt, felt the land, you know, fully oh, felt landscape, the landscape of my disbelief. Yeah. It's a good place to tap into. The resistance, yes. the, the, that resistance that was kind of like the scientist, or at least what I thought a scientist yeah, was. Yeah, the scientific at the time. method at its purest. And all that turn broke and. <laughs> The very odd affirmation or inquiry was, it's very silly, but it worked. Seth isn't lying. And I realized there really was this dead guy that could talk. So every single one of those house of cards that I was holding up melted. And the hymen of doubt I don't know if it had a location or not. It was a full, full body experience, really. The hymen of doubt was broken. It just ripped. And this flood of realization came through that 
was now affected all the all the learning I had done and the wisdom that had been gathered and even some kind of realizations were validated fully as existence and truth itself. Okay. Now what I've come to understand over the years is basically it was a realization of the psychic. It was a realization of the psychic and ethereal worlds because those are the ones I practice mostly in. There were a ton of spiritual components, but it was that was it was a and that that aspect of it never stopped. Okay, also a sense of continuity through death that nothing could really die, mm -hmm. even though on and off again, you know, whether memory or consciousness or identity even is carried on, but it became irrelevant. It was just a new that consciousness couldn't die. It was like, um, do you remember Stargate? Stargate SG-1? So when they created the Stargate, it looked like a bunch of water, but as soon as they created this, whoosh came out and then settled back into a film. It was like that was, there was a whoosh. And what, even though the, the realization itself that really took was um, mostly of the realm of the psychic. It wasn't even a pure sense of selfness, you know. It was just truly the power and the potency of all that doubt being broken at once did break into a realization of the self. So there has been a subtle and tacit sense of of being in consciousness that never stopped at that point. Now it wasn't always conscious conscious, you know, but I never really forgot it. Mm -hmm. Possibly and deeply, who knows what happened, but it never really left, okay? Yeah. So that yeah. integrated... Um, there's, there, you know, there is more to realization and self-realization than that. Mm -hmm. But there was something. But there was something of that. I think uh, if I don't know if you're a writer, but you need to write a book called "Breaking the Hymen of Doubt." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know the problem. Uh, there's two problems with writing. One is you're changing all the time, right? So I guess if you do a biography, then it's okay. You know, it's. <laughs> the other is, you know, it's it can be so hard not to be misleading. It's fucking, dude, you gotta believe me, because I've been doing it yeah. for months and months nonstop. Yeah. You gotta surrender that. It's rough. Yeah. You gotta just go I like, do right. Yeah. Yeah, I do right. If I allowed that little thing of not wanting to be misleaded to take over, you just never write anything. <laughs> because right. as soon yeah. as you start down one route, you see everything that's wrong with it. Yeah. it it's taught me so much. I could go on and on about like <laughs> writing has taught me. But one of the things it's taught me is like, Sometimes you gotta just fucking stick to some guns and right. just fucking ride it out. I agree. You know? I agree. And how that works for me is that it, that's the psychic realm. Yeah. That's what I call the psychic realm where your intuition's really flowing out and it's checked and balanced by your reason as much as you have a reason. You know, reason. Yeah. So that's fine. You know, I, I really think that's fine. Um, how much you own it in the moment, you know, you, you got to watch out also for interrupting your writing without, you know, the old style of writing, if you read any of this, people a hundred years ago, they were, they did a lot of apologetics, 
So especially if they're writing something which kind of transcendental, they would also apologize, like, I'm not really communicating this very well, or it can't be communicated. Uh, and That uh, really resonates with me. Yeah, that's an old style. I might have to start writing that. Well, if you read Olaf Stapleton's Star Maker, if you really want to get a sense of that, it's also a really good book. Yeah. It's foundational to, it's kind of like Tesla. A lot of people don't even know what Tesla is, and yet the basis of so much of our technology and electronics is based on Tesla's understandings. Tesla. Yeah. Olaf Stapleton was the basis, it wasn't H.G. Wells, it was Olaf Stapleton that became the basis of so much science fiction ideas. Mm. He wrote about a thousand ideas that just have come into fruition over the last, you know, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. And a lot of science fiction authors did read him or they read the people that had learned from him. Yeah. But he's pretty much, you know, kind of an unknown. But his books do get, still get, are in print, you know, so you can find stuff in print. Anyway, we do digress. Okay, Nora, I gotta take a potty break. So maybe okay. a break. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds good. <laughs> and then we'll take it back up. Yeah. Oh, I'll do is, one after you do two. This is the recording, so after a brief intermission. You want me to t- say that? I need you to say something like that again. Oh, so no, hard. I don't need to say something like it. I could say it almost exactly. It's, okay. I would say it's one of my teachings. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just telling Nick, um, just, just mentioning to Nick. When that, it comes to a teacher, there's three. Right. When, you, when it comes to any, and, and, and you could explain this to a group, too. Okay, so yeah, individual group or a book. I mean, there's ways you can relate it, but there's there's three things that that um, are involved in a in a transmission and teaching. Okay, transmission. Yes, yeah. So you got the teacher themselves, their body, their personality, their history, the shit they haven't worked out, the shit they have. They might be like very kind people right from the beginning. Or they might be very mean people right from the beginning. But you're gonna look at, if they haven't changed at all, or if they've gotten worse, you know, it's a suspicion there. But in any case, you still, you always have the teacher in their body, or the equivalent. Then you have the teaching itself. The teaching? The teaching. That comes through the teacher. No. It can, they, could, they could actually be just parodying sometimes. Yeah. They could just be really good at knowing something without, in, you know, fully, yeah. fully taking it in. I yeah, mean, a mouthpiece. Yeah, I mean, is every biology teacher a biologist? No. Yeah. In fact, sometimes the best teachers are the ones that don't know their stuff fully. Yeah. Like, one of the qualities of teaching, which I think is this grand experiment, and I think our friend Paul, you know, reflects some of this. And, and, and a lot of people do. I have a pair of teachers that I don't think reflects this as much as what I've seen. But what happens is you'll get a certain, if you will, a level of realization. And then you'll stick with that so that you can be the, that's that rung of the ladder. And you can be that, the expert. In that you can be the ladder. expert. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're going to stay in that place that they are. But their teaching has actually hit a certain point and people need that. So that's a blessing. Even if maybe they are a little stuck in it. You know what the fuck? Who cares? You know? So you got the teacher, you got the teaching, and you got the shakti, the transmission, the real energy transmission. And 
the important thing is just not to confuse the three. Remember, there are always these three components. Yeah. So you may really like their Shakti. I'm going to linger a little bit of Shakti yeah. because um, I've done coming close to 40 episodes of this podcast. Right. We've never gotten too deep into Shakti. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Shakti is actually a big piece of my spiritual journey, especially mm -hmm. early on, mm -hmm. uh, especially pre-Paul. And then Paul brought it on the hardest of anything else mm -hmm. in, in my little experience. A lot of Shakti in, in Paul's face. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that because uh, uh, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Yeah. I mean, he used uh, to talk about Shakti per se, but he talks about the equivalent. And I, I should just say, so... Um, Basically, any regular listener of this podcast knows Paul comes up every episode. The joke okay. is, hey, Paul comes up, take a shot, right? If you're playing a drinking right. game. Um, <laughs> so we know each other through Paul, through Paul's uh, right. sock songs. Right. Um, I know Michael Z. From, Mike Z. I met Michael Z. Mike Z's been on the podcast four or five times. Oh, that's cute. He's well known in this, in this <laughs> one. He's my co-host on a bunch of things. Oh. Um, so... Uh, can we linger on Shakti a little bit, on Kundalini, on energetic yeah. stuff? And uh, I think you're a little more experienced, especially in the verbiage and the lingo. Yeah. So can you explain, please, a little bit of the Shakti side of it? Well, a lot of people call it the transmission. And tradition, you know, the tradition of transmission is there's a number of methods of that happening. We were talking about wording and talking and speaking and the limits of that, and how I, you know, I'm a person that's still learning how to talk less and listen more. It's not like I haven't learned to listen. I have, but there's still room, a lot of room. Um, but the shakti can be transmitted with the words. The words can be a carrier wave, yeah. and. Practically speaking, I think every good teacher I've listened to will say at some point, it might not be every, every time they're hanging out, but they'll say, you know, you don't necessarily have to understand or listen to the words, just experience the feeling, you know. Mm -hmm. And there is some discernment with Shakti, you know, there is, I mean, think of the um, evangelicals, and the, the taking over of the Holy Spirit. That's actually a form of Shakti, okay? But when there's no discernment, the Shakti can, or a rave, you know? They're actually pretty comparable in the kind of lack of deep discernment. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's just getting flushed with some sort of energetic yeah. hit. It's, yeah. like, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Right. Well, something's happening, but there's no discernment. <clears throat> I like the word right. discernment. There's no... Right. Like, w w what is the... What is the source of the fucking energy? The source and the direction of this energy. Yeah, yeah. Is it really from the Holy Spirit? or? And there is, you know, you always have to be aware that in a group, so a, a fair amount of the shock is being generated by the group itself. It's a feedback loop between the teacher and the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a circuit. Yeah. I like to, to yeah. think of it that But way. it's not just the feeling level. You know, that's where the Kundalini comes in, is there's... Um, there are a lot of energetic processes that happen in the body. Kundalini is just one school of many. Mm -hmm. It just kind of took over for some reason, maybe the Kundalini teachers or who became popular. I've never had a straight up Kundalini, you know, awakening per se, but I have plenty of, you know, 
what they call kriyas, or energies that go through me at various times. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times, pure kundalini experiences can be painful for people. Yes, and you know? uh, anxiety and this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, an, it's commonly considered an ascending energy. Ascending meaning from the ground? Coming from the ground, well, technically from um, the perineum, area and the tailbone is where it gathers and then it breaks through. Mm -hmm. But I don't know a lot of the technology, technicalities of Kundalini because I've only studied it in a limited way. And when I did study it a bit, I was already in this last phase that we talked about this last seven years. And the people that were teaching that teach Kundalini Shakti combination. You know, they call it Kundalini Shakti. That's the Rudy Rudrananda Rudy uh, was one of the Da's teachers uh, school. There's, anyway, you know, there's all these traditions. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, you know, when I went to hang, I went to hang with the people in the big group a few times and I went to with an individual teacher and, you know, there's a lot that happens. There's a lot of... Uh, so anyway, the Shakti is, it's not just energy, it's... Um, There, it's kind of like one comparison I could put is it's the consciousness of an animal. Mm. It's a pure. There's a purity of being, mm. and a purity of energy. Not a lot of story. Not a lot of overlay. Doesn't have to be. Yeah, it's not like the Akashic records are coming through. Mm -hmm. It's more. Um, it's. It's also comparable to taking drugs. Though so it's a little more thing. pure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little more pure. I mean, it's it's understood that to some degree the Shakti is what's leading you into the teaching on a deeper level. I have mixed feelings about that because a lot of Shakti in various groups has happened and I'm not sure how much more awake I am because of it directly. Yeah. Um, but you can't separate yourself from your life. So nobody's done a, as far as I know, nobody's done a full on study of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and the, and the other thing about the Shakti is often it's considered a descending force. So you're open to a field of awakening colloquially above you. Then it begins to become something that just permeates space, or that sometimes it will come through the heart. I think the heart Shakti actually probably has some specific names. Uh, one of them is Amrita, you know. Yeah, Amrita Shakti. So, so, so you know, it's, bring it back. it's a little hard to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no. I'm sure there's a science to it, but I'm not, you know. Yeah. But you do feel it. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. and I do feel it. Yeah, it. you do feel it. <laughs> um, right. I, you yeah. spoke to it well. Yeah. So getting to the, the teacher, the teaching, right. and the Shakti. Right. And getting back to 1984. Right. Well, at that point, I was mostly following intuition, and so there was an external teacher that whole year. Um, the closest it came, so, you know, I had that, had that, uh, had that breakthrough, the Heimlich Doubt was... Uh, I mean, I call it a hymen of doubt partially because 
essentially the tradition is once you're not a virgin, you're not a virgin. I, I have to say because the synchronicity is too good. I know my name's Bebo, my last uh -huh, name. Uh -huh. I got that from my stepdad. My born name on my birth certificate is Nicholas Hyman. <laughs> I swear to God. So you're Jewish. I'm Jewish. Oh, okay. Back to, in the DNA, yes. Yeah, 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 good. So, so uh, I grew up Nicholas Hyman until I was 18 years old. <laughs> You get and, any trouble for it? Well, you were in that isolated community. Yes, so. and, and the, my generation tends to not know what a hymen is. <laughs> it's mostly older generations. Yeah. So most people I so I'm 30, <laughs> I'm 33. Anyone 45 and above, when I say my name used to be hymen, they laugh. Right. <laughs> right. They go, oh, your mom should name you Buster. Buster hymen. <laughs> Buster hymen. <laughs> No, but most people my generation and below go hymen. That sounds yeah. weird, right? But they don't know what yeah. it is. Well, so, that's just the term. It's uh, probably going on four, four years, maybe a little longer. It became the term that I used. Yeah, that's, I like it actually. Yeah. yeah, because it's this idea of this permanent thing that yeah. once broken can't be restored. Right. Right. And there was this seemingly permanent thing of a sense of more. Right. Ego, individual, separate, yeah. long-lasting entity that was broken, that can't be restored. It can't be restored in the that The house way, of yeah. cards, as Paul often says, the yeah. house of cards falls, and then you can put it back up, but you know what the house of cards at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't think it's a skill structure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it, I would say comparable, what I've come to understand, and pretty clear on this, is comparable to the witness awakening, this breaking of of doubt, this flood of understanding, pure understanding, pure being, pure realization, it never, it's always affecting you after that. It can't, you can't undo, uh, you really can't undo that, even though it's to some degree it's subtle. baseline. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. always there. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's subtle. Sometimes you can really get lost in the bullshit, but that realization is still there. The sense never quite falls away. Yeah. I would say I've had a similar nice. experience. Yeah. Um, it's going on four, four and a half years, yeah. and it came from listening to Paul, um, but it could come from anything. Right. And, and that, you know, Paul talks about um, being convinced, you know? I was convinced. Mm -hmm. Not I, Nick, but, you know, right. whenever this little conscious expression was convinced, I get way the fuck out there, and I can, you know, uh, go through turmoil and doubt and, and crises and all that shit, but that part of me, which is convinced, which is realized, is never, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> it to be there. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get it, yeah. and it changes everything and nothing. It's one of those wonderful things that... It gives you the universe, but you still got to tap into your life. Yeah. You know, you've got... It's how to get out of jail free card. Yeah. 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 And it's not magic. No. That's the difference between realization or enlightenment and magic. It's, it's not, it's, it's not exactly, it's certainly not primarily functional. Mm, yes. It alters things and it alters, I would say it alters in a sense, it's Newtonian that it, it alters your path. Mm -hmm. So you're you're shifted. You know, you go into different orbit, but that still takes a long time for various people to process and to work with. Um, 
So, well, a little more clarity will come from that when I talk about, mention the third one. So, um, so as the, as the months went on, I continued the practice and process of, of following my intuition and, um, you know, I was doing microdosing before it's ever been talked about, right? So I did combo microdosing, I did spontaneous bodily movements. Microdosing what? Oh gosh, I don't know, everything. I could get my hands on at various times and various combinations. I love, <laughs> I love alchemy, you know, I love the alchemy process. Uh -oh. um, not too often. I'm not saying, you know, yeah, I did a hundred of them. There was no ayahuasca, but there was probably mescaline involved, LSD, psilocybin, neurotropics, some pot sometimes, though, as I've mentioned, that's really haven't, hasn't been my, my uh, THC has not been my best path. Yeah, that's funny. I would agree. That's yeah. interesting. I, I find, you know, in the same way alcohol can seem to bring consciousness below, mm -hmm. I find THC can sometimes do that. It's sort of a little bit of a wild card yeah. that sometimes it brings you up, sometimes it brings you down. And so that's... Yeah, that's I mean, if you me. use it, if you use it as, as a yogic stimulant, it can really does kind of help you find the parts of your body that you're not aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And if you practice with that, that can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. Which is still, depending on your biochemistry, I, mean, I was just a person that I think it overstimulated my adrenal glands and mm -hmm. I just would get paranoid. Mm -hmm. and, and it's apparently, a lot of people just don't get that and they just really love the stuff. Yeah. Too much, I think, you uh -huh. know, because like any drug, it loses its potency and then you have to do more and more to get the same effect. Yeah, and it can become psychologically addicting. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there are both esoteric and medical reasons for not using too much. But I would say one really good example from a friend of mine who takes a number of antipsychotic and other kinds of medications, she's quite clear that the pot eliminates the need for a number of medications. Yeah. So that's a that's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. You exactly. know, that's in, a in that case, win. the way the dials are set. Yeah. If you're gonna, it's gonna set your dials right, and it, it gets you away from yeah you know, the other medication, then you're winning. Yeah. yeah. Because our medication, you know, is not still up to par with what. And the side effects and the yeah. they're heavy hammers. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. They're, they're not no free lunch there with yeah. a lot of. Western medication. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, so they're deeply affected, but they also have a lot of side effects. And yeah. So, I'm take you back. You're microdosing 1984. Yeah, so I'm, you know, doing this, doing that. Um, I'd say I probably was on pot for this next thing. Okay, <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure I was. All so I had a yoga, gay, gay yoga class. So I was. It was very comfortable. The, the yogic teacher was a very comfortable person. I spent are we time in Sacramento still? We're in, where were we? Where were we? California? San Francisco, I think. Okay. No, no, East Bay. It was in the East Bay at that oh, point. We're in the East Bay now, somewhere out here, Berkeley? Yeah, but I wasn't living here. I just yeah, came here for the classes. The class. uh -huh. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, I noticed gay yoga, nice yoga class, you know, I've been doing yoga on and off since I was 12, so I have a nice neighbor that brought me into the YMCA to do yoga. Nice. And of course, I got totally into it, became a vegetarian, drove my mother crazy. <laughs> you know, the whole ball of wax. Big, big, you know, I'd sit in front of the TV and eat a big bowl of salad. 
Really? My mom would slip me meat without telling, making me, you know, say it was vegetable protein. <laughs> so occasionally I would eat meat. Without. I don't know how long it's interesting. It's been a long around since I've been a kid, so at least 30 years. Intermezzo on Telegraph in Berkeley. Uh, Big bowls of salad. You ever yeah. been there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Intermezzo. So they came back. They were gone for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. They burned down. They came back a few years back. And so we'll go to Intermezzo sometime. Okay. Big bowl of salad. I think there's one on ninth too. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh-huh. Well, until yeah. I get my cheese. Yeah. There's a limit to how much, you know. Because those, those are, it, you feel like a cow. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a limited cheese. capacity to yeah. do Once you get your teeth, we'll celebrate with a salad at Intermezzo. <laughs> Yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Once I get my teeth. Well, yeah. Once I get my teeth, my gums will be healed. So then it'll work. Yeah, I'm sure. So. <laughs> so yeah. So I do remember that during those classes, something started to relax in me, and there was an inquiry still going on. Don't remember what the inquiry was. Inquiry has always been a big part of my practice. You know, inquiry being not questioning, but finding questions and answers. You know, play together. Yeah. It's a it's a process of you actually find the question and the answer at the same time. So it's a mm -hmm. it's a living process. So I think one of the inquiries is, for instance, uh, as I mentioned earlier. How can we have a God that's omniscient, knows everything, and still have free will if everything's already known, right? Yeah. So that was an early inquiry. Yeah, I really don't remember what the inquiry was, and, and maybe it had mostly completed itself by then, but there was some of that. There was some, in other words, there was a lifting force to some degree, but more and more the last few, even the last few weeks, I have understood more and more that it's mostly relaxing. Mm -hmm. It's mostly as the tension leaves, not grabbing back onto it. Mm. Okay? Yeah. You and said that at, at Paul's the other day, we were sitting out on Wilmack Avenue. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had a little quick five-minute conversation before I had to run to, yeah. to pick up my daughters. Yeah. And you said that, and it stuck with me. Um, you said it really, it really is a relaxing that you're not gonna find realization, uh, any sort of a sustainable long term state of being by going out and getting it, by right. going out and grabbing it. It is a relaxing back right. into a natural state. Seems that way to me. I would agree. Yeah, it's now the building the muscle of of inquiry and activity and presence. That also has a muscle. I mean, once the presence is there, there is a kind of muscular process that happens, and probably a lot of changes in your brain, maybe yeah. even your hormone system. So there's you know. I mean, there's people that write about this ad infinitum, and you pay as much attention as you want to them. I think it's um, useful for some people. It's a, I just can't see polluting with all that anymore. Well, it's just, you know, suppositions. It just, you know, there's only so much supposition you can take unless it's useful. So, like anything. So I'm in the class, 
and I'm starting to feel a kind of relaxation and a recognition. There's something getting recognized that didn't seem to ever be recognized before, but felt very natural, right? And I would kind of, I kind of, you know, we creep up on each other for a while, and then there'd be, you know, some pulling back maybe. It was at the stage, for whatever reason in my life and in the times, where it was a lot easier just to relax into it. So yoga class was a place where it started to manifest, and I seriously do not remember when it manifests, you know, it's, these are things hard to talk about because they're not manifestations, they're relaxations, as I said. But the thing itself, as far as I could tell, and I've confirmed this finally with a few people, um, was like relaxing into a self-perpetuating field or frequency or harmony of awareness. And in this case, it was specifically the awareness of God's will. And it was the awareness, so I guess part of the inquiry is why does evil still exist, you know? Why is resistance? Why does, it's an inquiry into resistance itself and the actions of resistance. And there was a point, if I was to describe it um, physically, it was a point where everything broke up into a very fine particulate. Like the finest possible pixels. You know. Animistic, down to the... Yeah, just, it's, it, you know, and it's almost as if I could see this. And half mixed, you know, they're all mixed together chaotically. And half the, half the particulates were doing God's will. And half the particulates were resisting God's will. And they were in perfect harmony. Yeah. And both were feeding each other perfectly. Magnetic pull. Something. And what settled is what the only thing I could call it was divine will, which integrated both. And, and just an awful philosophical concept, even that which is against God is for God, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. that there's just, if you look at the harmony of existence, and, and, and we, almost all of us have seen this that. This is not Tao Te Ching, this is ancient, yeah. and this is, this is Alan Watts, yeah. right? Yeah. 101. Yeah. yeah. And it's Tao, Yin, and Yang, uh -huh. you know, the Tao is primary, fundamental, but the Yin and Yang is still always there. You know, folding into each other. Yeah, they're they're both needed. Yeah, they can't yeah. survive. They they can't exist without the. Yeah, other. and it was a full on. It was a full on, Real. resting in this, like riding. Not intellectual. Oh gosh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, the intellectual was included, but 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 integrated. The heart was integrated, included but integrated, but no no quality. It was fundamentally without quality because once that was seen, then divine will just became the, the, 
the lack of quality, the lack of the need for quality anymore. And it's, um, so it was rested in that. And I would say this, this kind of, this, this, this resting in this, um, this current, so it, it was about two weeks that this continued. Wow. And, and I've confirmed this too, finally. It's a, finally you get somebody to talk about it like this. There was a way, for instance, if, um, there was a way in which every moment there was an affirmation of it, right? There was a conscious affirmation, but, with, but effortless. Then when I think, when I wake up in the morning, there'd be a little bit of strain, strain from it. You could feel it like a little off. Pulling away? No, just a drifting, mm. you know, like you drift out of a current. You know, and it was simply a matter of resting back in the wave. The wave was so strong and so self-existent and so obvious. I love that. Fully obvious. <laughs> yes. That it couldn't be. It really took would take an effort to get out of it. <sighs> yeah. That's really good, man. I, I, you're putting language to something that's been experiential in my life for a long time. It's almost like embarrassing to say because it sounds so capitalist, whatever. But, uh, at the end of yoga classes in Shavasana, uh -huh. when you lay there, uh -huh. I uh -huh. often relax into that current. Right. And I go, oh shit. And it's this alliance with Paul's message, all the shit. It's like, oh, it's been here the whole time. You know, I've been. I've been keeping myself out of the current mm -hmm. with all my usual neuroses, bullshit, being busy with more important shit. But like right here, right now, I can relax into it. Sometimes it's, it takes an hour of hot yoga, sweat my ass <laughs> off, holding crazy fucking positions. Right. Uh, I get it often hiking. I get it very easily hiking with some assistance from yeah. psilocybin mushrooms or whatever. Right, right. You know, where it's just like, Oh shit! The current has been right here the whole time, mm -hmm. you know. And it, it's a it can feel like a waterfall, it can feel like a river, like a whatever. And like it, in the average day to day hustle and bustle, trying to like work your way into it, we think we have to work into it. And again, I I very much resonate with the idea of no, it's a relaxing back into this is the natural state, right? The natural flow of the universe. We can tap into it like a cellular, like energetic body level, so easily. You just gotta yeah. chill. And as you the years have gone it. on, the, for want of a better word, ability to rest in aspects like that has increased exponentially. So, Holding on a while now, there is no out of being. <laughs> there is no lack of happiness. Nice. And that which, you know, does experience the boundedness to existence and some irritating thing, when those happen, they actually happen stronger. 
It seems that the dips get very powerful, but they're also, generally speaking, shorter. Mm -hmm. The raises in consciousness, the kind of real, the blissing, is not manic. Yeah. Right? It's Grounded. relaxed. And then mostly, you know, the middle way is the one that happens. Yeah. And so that's, there's a very kind of now natural, it's like uh, moved, you know, but maybe only partially. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree 100%. I, yeah. I, I often say that my baseline... The baseline, is, right. Yes. The baseline is, is higher. Yes, my baseline so is what I used to think a 9 or 10 out of 10 is. Yeah. Right, and now yeah. that is the baseline. Yeah. And it's, it's grounded in a way where it doesn't feel manic or it doesn't feel um, unstable. Like, it's incredibly fucking stable. Right. And, and it helps to have reminders around us. You know, I, I like to go, I go to Paul's, I'll let out a secret that I really haven't talked about. And this, this, this first part isn't the secret. I go, I go for the juice, right? Yeah, me too. I don't really go for the teaching. Yeah. In fact, when I first went to Paul's and I was hearing this teaching, I'll get these terrible headaches. I get a little, you know, integrated into what he had to teach or what I thought he had to teach or what I could resonate with. And then I get these terrible headaches for a couple of days afterwards. And that doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't try to discuss my practice with Paul because he'll always zip it back into what he zips it into. Mm -hmm. I've occasionally, you know, used what's happening with me as a stimulus. And when he was in last in Italy, you know, I got to do that with him. But I don't try to, you know, preach or change or, you know, do my thing at his place. Um, what I do is as fully as possible participate and then the secret part is I give back the Shakti. I consciously move the Shakti that's being carried through me in its various aspects, some including my mantras, some including just, you know, what runs through me. I consciously add that to the field mm. while embracing what's there and so there's quite a flow yeah. happening. How much that's noticed, what it's really doing, impossible to say, but that's one of the reasons I'm there. I'm there to contribute to the juice consciously. Because the teachings I work with and am committed to, one of the basic recognitions is all realizations, in a sense, are stations along the way, and none of them are the thing itself. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So each of those... It's a great sign that it's yeah. not the destination is that yeah. you feel that it is. But there's a joy in these integrations that is profound. So one of the things I've, I've understood in the last couple of years is that the grace of having that experience for those two weeks, and I'll say, I'll say really quickly, there was a couple obvious manifestations. One is I was mostly silent, which is just not me. I mean, my earliest report cards in kindergarten were, you know, just really well in this and socially, blah, blah, blah. And always got straight A's and all that bullshit. But even in kindergarten, they write in bold letters, but he talks so much. <laughs> this is like, goes way back. So it's a fundamental, you know. Part of the settings. I mean, I don't mind calling it a personality flaw because it's just what it is, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm going to mea culpa, it's just like everybody has flaws and challenges. The point is, there was just no room 
to do a lot of talking. And, and things would come up. I remember arguing with a libertarian one time. I didn't say a lot, but I could really feel how it was really off, you know? So I did a little, little of this and a little of that. But mostly I was just beaming and hanging. Yeah. Sort of gave that gay bar down, down here in uh, Berkeley. Um, I don't know if it's still there or not. It was around the corner for me, actually. So somehow I ended up in there. Yeah. I'm not a big bar guy, but uh, so and so that was one of the manifestations. The I think there were three that I can. Oh yeah, I told you about the one where I was reading Aurobindo, these dense spiritual books. And it was like everything made perfect sense. That was so cool. It was just like, it was just amazing. And I think this, you know, the Sophia, the knowledge, it depending on who you are, that happens. You know, you really do feel like there's a fundamental knowledge to what's real and what's integrated. And everything is kind of pouring around and through that. And that's a side effect. Yeah, you yeah know? I would say I have friends on all sides of the spiritual spectrum yeah. from, you know, I have one that comes to mind that she grew up um, Jehovah's Witness mm -hmm. and she's having a bit of a awakening just to, you know, have the, the structural problems with, you know, that fundamentalism. Right. And she said to me, because I, I write about Stoicism, I write about Buddhism, you know, cool. Taoism, all this <laughs> shit. And she goes, all the really wise people are saying the same thing in different ways. Yeah. And yeah. I go, yeah, that's, that's a quality that I've noticed as well. Yeah. And either part of the world, you know, they had no cultural connection <laughs> or historical connection, but they're all seeming to say a very similar thing. And that's, that's uh, when you're in a more realized and more awakened state, that tends to be amplified. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I really like to communicate to as many, especially fundamentalists of every ilk, including New Agers, mm -hmm. is it's okay to test God. Yeah. Your faith... I only trust is, the God that I can test. Yeah. yeah. Your faith is strengthened by finding, you know, going through going through the doubt going through the challenges and like this relationship we talked about thing we talked about when you fight in a relationship and you heal and you become stronger there's an incredible solidity there yeah. so I had I had the blessing of being able to go through that enough that I know you know I mean the word God is just very simple. I can use the word God in a hundred different contexts with a hundred different types of people and really mean it even though they might mean something a little different. I can go along with it. Mm -hmm. I can talk to most Christians really well yeah, because I, I have that background. Funny, I can't yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's no, it's not like I have to hold on to a specific idea. It's more like I see that after my faith, if you will, has been tested, something still emerges. And I, I you know, I, I want people to know that that's possible. Authent your authentic being will survive yeah. and strengthen. Yeah. So, oh yeah, so that um, um, most of us heard the word Satchitananda. So that was apparent and flowing through me that the thing is this Ananda, this bliss, that was just a fact that had it was literally like the sweat coming off my body. It was just a, 
a side effect mm, the of the integration. Pure bliss. Pure, constant. It's funny, Keith, on the last podcast episode, brought up Sachidananda, yeah. yeah. which is pure consciousness and bliss. Consciousness, being, and, and Consciousness, and, being, and, and bliss. bliss. Yeah. As one thing. As one we thing. We break it into three, yeah. but it's one thing. There are three words, but yes. people, you know, you can it's put them together. one, Sachidananda. Yeah. So, and that, of course, manifests in any number of ways, but I, I'm convinced now if if the Ananda is not there, then something... The Ananda being the bliss. Yeah, yeah, could be there. But all three, you know, that sense of beingness, that sense of caring, caring yeah, a presence with you. Because in that case, it's an unconditional bliss. It's unconditional. It was. It's really, as I experienced it then, at least, it was a side effect. Yeah. And just nothing to, you know, and I didn't even know that until later, because there was a fading of this, obviously. I'm not in it now. I mean, well, that's a thing. See, I will, I might as well patch it together before we finish this piece. I've been doing a meditation the last few months that integrates and compares the deepest of my, and the longest in terms of, you know, really, the happening of that realization and what, what it is and my now cross our referencing them letting them feed each other being aware that grace is still the main thing but this inquiry is still helpful and important and one of the things that's come to me is you know how do you know you're not in it already <laughs> I mean you're in something yeah. that's free yeah but, so I'll say one, one more side effect, uh, you know, like, so like there's a bright power, you know, it's all bright power with knowing and being, we call it the key to divine will, because it felt like, you know, as, as it sort of semi-faded, I could turn that key and open up, but it was very simple, it was no, to move back into that station, it was no more, that was the effort, it yeah, took, or less. Yeah. So it wasn't efforting per se, but I, it was. I can a, relate. I, you've ever been in a sensory deprivation tank? Yeah, a few times. They don't do much for me. Yeah, there are a lot. Yeah. I, the last time I did it, I think, um, was I don't think I've done it since Paul. I was telling you I teach before. Paul oh yeah, right. Introduced me to um, non-duality. I went and did a, 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 a sensory deprivation tank, isolation tank. And I remember this being that key feeling of like, I imagine something, right. I, and it manifests. Right. Because <laughs> you're in there in the dark, you're floating through fucking space, basically. Right, you know? right. And I was sober, but it right. would get you in that psychedelic state. And it was like, fireworks, fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there was no <laughs> lag yeah. between, you know, that, that connection to, to that magic, to that key. And uh, so I can relate because where I stand here, sitting on this couch with you today, it's not the same state. It, it, it's the same baseline, but there's there's a different quality. Yeah. So well, think of dreams. Think yeah, of how yeah, much yeah. we can experience in dreams. I don't do lucid dreaming because I like that time of my day to be what it is. I think there's an incredible value in being taken by these by these stories. That's good wisdom. 
You know, I really, yeah. there's actually some scientific backup for it now, too. Yeah. But I'm not saying Luke's dream is bad there's or wrong. Some, there's something very egotistic, almost egotistical about lucid dreaming is like, yeah. I want to control that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, probably, so I understand the sex is incredible. I'm, I'm you know, I mean, if you, if you want your fantasy person, you know, Come whatever you want. You could create what you, you know, it's all a virtual you, reality. All you can eat <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, one more effect before I finish this piece up uh, was. Wherever I just walk around, I do a lot of walking. Whatever, I wasn't like, yeah, it was you know, pretty calm, actually. Grounded. Uh, yeah, it was just very present. And if, when I would look at people as they pass by, a good number, even if I had this kind of simple, peaceful face, would just... <laughs> There was an externalization that right. that's the Shakti, I would yeah. say. They were feeling something in the Shakti, they were sensitive to something, and for a moment it made them feel, you know, happy. Yeah. So there was these, you know, there were these various effects, and then um, since I had been following my intuition, my intuition, I, I got an intuition that says, let this go. And it also put a it put a carrot in front of me that says, well, let's just come back in a different form in a few months, and there'll be some integrations and blah blah blah, and this will be wonderful. And so I just you know that that the fading that was naturally happening, I just let that continue, and it took months for it to really you know, work That's through. Yeah. And here's another little esoteric thing: people can check into this. Um, I did feel a break, like a finalization, like a lot of it left, and I went back into, you know, normal waking consciousness, so to speak, when I had an orgasm with somebody I didn't care for. Mm. Yeah, that's and that's an esoteric principle, and I know that's controversial, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sex negative at all, I'm yeah, extraordinarily yeah. sex positive, mm -hmm. but I do think there are some esoteric principles now it could have been because I have issues in that area, that's why it happened to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it did, you know, that's a thing. And, and and years and years later I became chaste, which is, you know, you can have sex with yourself. Chastity is no sex, and chaste is, you can still have, you know, self-sexual, so to speak, and whatever. Um, I became chaste because, again, I felt a different aspect of that, which I just happened to call my soul, because it was the best thing to call it. I could feel that breaking and, and, and being chewed up when I'd have inappropriate sex that was not integral with my body and my needs. And so to keep that soul quality strong, and I was working powerfully with a couple of teachers, so that's why I think I got sensitive. Um, eventually, the end point was chastity. I just... It's just what ended up working, and that's worked for me for a long time now. It's not a recommendation by any means, but I... Very personal. Well, it's like any addiction, okay? Because there were sex... There were addictions to certain activities, and it's like any addiction... Addiction does... Active addiction with intention or agency, so to speak, a lot of times the agency is not letting go, it breaks us, it, you know, it, it grinds us down. Mm -hmm. So that was a grinder. Yeah, 
Yeah. So anyway, so that, you know, it faded because of follow my intuition. It just let it fade. It never came back with that potency. But one of the gifts I realized that it gave me is I got a very large taste, a two-week-ish buffet of, 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 of uh, you know, heaven's, heaven's uh, dinner table. It, it takes you, to, Paul talks about free samples. Yeah. And I've often said, there's free samples and there's all-you-can-eat buffets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was an all-you-can-eat buffet yeah. paired with never needing to eat too much, yeah. but having everything you wanted. Yeah, you had your fill. It's kind of an analogy. No, no, of course. Yeah. You had, you, in this analogy, you had your fill, and there's work to do. You have your well, slice of life to, yeah. to experience. And I was 25. Yes, yes. I was very fucked up still yeah. on many different levels. I had a lot to learn, a lot of personality issues, a lot of usury things with people, it's a lot of irresponsibility. So there was, if, if somehow I, you know, the decision was to stay there, there's a couple, couple consequences to that. Because when that Shakti is manifest that strong, you can find people. People get drawn to that. Yeah. Like moths to the flame, but I also, you know, at some point, there's a certain way in which they're reflecting your shadow as well as your positivity. And I was just simply not ready for that. So thank God. Thank God it didn't maintain itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I, you know, I still have this kind of reference point. I, like I said, one of my basic practices now is. Is this is this kind of cross-reference? Um, I mean, I think maybe there are tensions in my body, my mind, my emotions that are kind of a resistance. But the process I'm in now and have been for quite a while is just perfect, as perfect as can as a human can be. Naturalness, yeah. human can be in this environment. Because the American environment, you know, the U.S. environment is not easy to be natural. No. You know, and I'm not saying I eat natural food. I, you know, I eat crap sometimes. I, I'm a, you know, raw jasic. I eat, actually, I learned years ago I had to eat, had to eat tamasic food or it was oversensitized. We're going to have to do some definitions here. Well, it's the tamasic is the rotten. Ah. You know, the ferment. Like you couldn't even we be just fermented. Ate, we just ate some kimchi. Yeah, like the kimchi, yeah. right. Things yeah. like that. Rajasic is the heating food. Mm-hmm. And tamasic is the, you know, the simple, plain, plain food. But really... I'm big on all three of those. I think all three are important. And, and I even have to eat, like I said, junk sometimes. It's... I learned a lot. I put on a lot of weight. And it took, I was anorexic and I was bulimic for a long time when I was a kid and I was anorexic for a longer time. And I knew I needed to put on some weight. So that took a few years. And then, you know, I bloated. I got up to 300-ish or a little over and I'm at under 250 now. And it's been a process, but again, there's no effort. I just, almost all efforting for, especially for my type of persona, mm-hmm. is counterproductive. Yeah, it will. I get rebound if I put the harder I push into something I think I need to do. Yeah. The more rebound I get, stronger. 
And it just, you know, I think some, some people call it instant karma. But my life continues to change at an even accelerated pace. My eternal life, but it, you know, there's all sorts of fucked up things still. But it's mostly fine. It's mostly, and I'm certainly not hurting anybody. Yeah. You know, um, I'm doing some service work, you know. Um, Can you talk, yeah. just maybe to finish up, we could go all night. But I do have to go to sleep. No, no, I'm happy to finish up. We need to finish up. (laughs) We got through 1984, so I feel like the podcast was a success. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really did. Yeah, there was a lot of good, juicy stuff. Yeah. Talking about Just remember, though, it's all bullshit. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) It's just somebody's experience. It's bullshit because you can't talk about it. Exactly. We're just, but as much as you anybody could tap into the reality yeah, yeah, yeah. and compare it and cross-reference, it's absolutely true. We're talking about mythology. Yeah, but it's mythology. also absolutely it's authentically true, as yeah. much as I can make it. And so, I, I, I feel it, so. it, and I know that there's oh, a good amount, <laughs> a good amount of listeners. Yeah, it's too. really not, it's really, you know... It's, a, it's an interesting thing to talk about. There's really not a lot of ego. I don't claim any of it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not... I'm not saying I'm not involved. I'm deeply involved. Yes. I'm here. Yeah. But I also don't make a lot of claims. But I also don't make the claim that it's just God doing it. Right? It's yeah. the mystery of how these things take place, these changes and these evolutions inside us. Well, so the whole it's idea, really fundamental. It's the whole mystery. idea that, you know, we're all, we're all one-offs. In, yeah. one, in one sense, we're all one. In the other sense, we're all these one unique one-time expressions right. in the time in the space-time continuum. Right. And there's a one-off expression right here called Noor. Right. And it, it would be inauthentic. And it would be inauthentic. over there. <laughs> it'd be inauthentic to not uh, fully express and tell the story and tell this mythology as yeah. best as we can. Yeah. And so the, the whole, it's an ego trip to not fully embrace there it you go. and do justice to that's it exactly story. yeah exactly. that's it exactly yeah and so you were you were saying something to close up yeah to you? close up um because yeah we a lot of things lead back to paul being of service mm-hmm. i love the idea of being of service i i like to tell myself this podcast is being of service mm-hmm. you know, there's there you go plenty of people out there that um are lost are lonely are you know and they're getting so much out of hearing your story and so much framing and so much direction and cool shit. So just in closing, speaking of being of service, you mentioned that you've spent a good amount of the last so many years working with the dying. Um, dying has been death and dying and mortality has been a big theme. It's the last one I talked with Keith. I told the story of me facing my mortality with right. the barrel of a gun. Right. Keith told his story of when he was 25 and he almost drowned and had a near-death experience. Um, so death is in the mix <laughs> for this podcast, for the work that I've been doing for my own personal life. And I, I you know Ram Dass. Have we talked about Ram Dass before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ram Dass is big in my... Yeah, we hung a couple of times. Did you really? In person? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, because I know yeah. he used to hang out out there. Yeah, and time. also as a, as far as friend of a friend. I mean, he's lo- he was local. You me- you remember Z who passed mm-hmm. away? Yeah, Z was good buddies with Ron. Oh, Doss, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. He told yeah. he did the podcast with me. Um, yeah, no, Ron Doss made a really good contribution. One of the things he seemed to refuse to do was claim make any claims. 
I think he was deeply in the guru thing because yeah. you know you don't want to claim you're you know like your guru. Yeah, of course. You know, but when you don't have a guru anymore, then claim as you want. <laughs> I mean, I have many gurus. Yeah. You know, but you're also your own guru. That's part of it. Once you, once you're authentically your own guru, um, well, something else happens. You know. Yeah. Bhakti is a beautiful thing. I've done it many times, but now bhakti is much more. It's not diluted. It's perme it permeates just a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. Paul actually called me a bhakti. He says that's one of the reasons I don't quite get along with his teaching. Because yeah. he's more into the emptiness and I'm more into bhakti. Yeah. I refuse to be insulted about not being recognized as a gyani. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm obviously a gyani as yeah. well as a bhakti. Yeah. But not formally, you know? It's just, just a little context. Gyani is... is the, um, Path of knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. Using the mind to go beyond the mind. Yeah. Using knowledge. Vedic, you know. Vedic. And bhakti being heart. Right. Love. And Advaita Vedanta, you know, traditionally is a, is a young process. It's, it's a it's study. It includes a lot of study. It's not just hanging back in your being and being it, told that's where you are. No, I, I feel that jnana was a big one for me, for yeah. sure. But bhakti stuff, I listen to kirtan. Uh -huh. But I listen to freaking uh, Christian Bible or, yeah. or, or, or you know uh, praise music. I ball like a baby. That's so it's beautiful. it's all in there. It's really <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I you know I have teachers that I love still. I love ball, and I love yeah. the other teachers I, I see, and um, and I sing a lot. Yeah, you know I sing a lot, and I have mantras that chant, and they include divine qualities, and you know as much as they're people, they're people. And, and people, you know, as years go on, I find, I, I do think that's my primary motivator component, is love. And I think it could be the next stages of my relaxation into realization are accepting the love that flows through me and not resisting anything. Because it is, in a way, it's very frightening to yeah. feel that much love. Very scary, yeah. yeah, to open up. But of course, what you find is once it's divine, once it really is integrated, and the divine and the and the person are, are integrated, you're not vulnerable anymore in the same yeah. way. It, well, it's a it's, potent, there's a potency to it's, it. It's Alan Watts again, the the, uh, the yeah. wisdom of insecurity. Mm. The only security is absolute insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. The idea that you're gonna lock yourself up in a bunker with all the guns and all the food and all that, and that then you're going to feel secure. Right. That's, you're always going to find a reason to worry. It's really yeah. nice not to know that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to not have to fall back to its logic. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of food around just because I do, and some, yeah. a couple, 10 gallons of water or something, a bunch of water, <laughs> but just because it's there, uh, medicine, etc. But, you know, there's, I'm not about to buy a gun, and if, if we have a societal collapse, you know, really, I'm just going to fade into it. I don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. I just don't have a desire to prepare for, you know, as people like Mike, Mike uh, Z would point out, you start preparing for that stuff, and then you're creating that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that's yeah. kind of basic, basic uh, 
affirmations, you know, it's, that is a magical quality. Yeah. Nice. Resist, persist. Exactly. Those things do, I don't say they're absolutely true, but I, there is a lot of that. They're a force of the universe, for sure. Well, yeah, because you're putting it out. Yeah. And so, of course, you're creating that what you put out. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, anyway. So, can we talk a little bit about sitting with the dying? Oh, okay. What done. We didn't talk the whole time. We didn't talk about yeah. Jin Jitsu. Jin Jitsu. Jin Jitsu. Let's talk a little bit about that. It's Jin. 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 Stick it on your shin. Shin. And do Jitsu. Yeah, like Jitsu. Yeah. Jin Shin Jitsu. Jin Shin Jitsu. I don't forget it now. Yeah, it's an old. It's a revived active pressure type. Of practice. You've done it to me in the coffee shop. That's right. It did do a little with you. It's powerful. Yeah, it's um, you know, a lot of people know it now. It spread slowly just because of the way the teacher handled it. She didn't want to create a lot of big thing. It's even got um, a heretical, you know, branch Mm -hmm. of people that decided wanted to be teachers and then she wouldn't let them, so they created Jinchin Do. <laughs> and that's a very actually I've done Jin Shin Do. It's a very powerful system. It's not Jin Shin Jitsu, but it's actually its own mm-hmm. creative force. And that's just apocryphal. I'm not sure that's exactly how it happened, but you know. Yeah. And um so yeah, once it came through her I had a I had a stealth therapist in my teen years. I didn't know she was my therapist or a therapist, <laughs> but she got me involved with her. Oh, wow. This goes all the way back She to saved you. my life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. she was one of the things that saved my life. I, I, I was in really bad shape mm-hmm. when I was a teen and running away a lot and doing, you know, too many drugs and, uh, and just, you know, just out there. But, you know, Grace brought me a few really healing people. Some of my best mentors have been women about 10 years older than me, so mm. all, all through my life. Um, so yeah, River Dancing is her name, and she was a, a student of Mary Burmeister, the Jinchen teacher, and she would do it on me, and then I just I was doing some body work on and off, all you know, since I was a kid. So, including some formal training, not a lot. And so I was about 15, 14, 15, and I took my first Jinchen class. Uh, it was fun. It's kind of dreamy. Mm. She teaches in this kind of circular way. There's books that you go through, sort of but it's just ethereal. Sort of. No, no, it's not ethereal at all. It's very physical, mm. but it includes the fundamental idea of Jinshin is you're 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 working with a system, and that system is very helpful, but you're opening to the healing forces of the cosmos. Liminal. That's where I was looking. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. So as you practice it on yourself and on other people over the years, that opening starts to increase. And so when when I do Jin Shin now with people, I guess you could say I completely go away. Mm. You know? That's that's cool. It's a lot of fun. That's flow state. Yeah, it's flow state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's deep flow state. I'm I'm deeply present, but the light is just... So yeah... um, I haven't had the opportunity too much. I've only had a couple of clients in the last few years, a few volunteerism, but I did work with hospice. Yeah. 
back on Cape Cod quite a while ago, and that's when I found I was um, I was nursing assistant with hospice, so I do the bed baths and take the charts and you know do the vitals. But then there's plenty of time left over, so I said, why not? I'll do some gin shin on people that you know would accept it. And most of the time they would, or if they were comatose, you know, it was up to their family, and then you know do that. And there were incredible things that happened with these people. It was, I, it's a perfect, one of the perfect methods uh, for people in actively dying. It's just, it's amazing how it kind of folds into that. Yeah. So when you say there was incredible things, can you get some? Well, the, I'd say that, so I had a, <laughs> I had kind of a reputation after the first few months, the year of, you know, of practicing. I was the only male nursing assistant, so you know they put me where they would want to get males. Some people, you know, would prefer males, so that was nice to have a male to do it. Yeah. And I was kind of known for people dying quicker. <laughs> you know. I mean. Yeah. Depending on your perspective. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I wasn't like actually good giving thing. that many meds to people, uh -huh. so it wasn't like I was with them 24-7 giving them their rocks and all yeah, yeah, yeah. like with morphine. No, it was, you know. Um, I mean, so, so the positive spin on that is you helped them to accept. See, apparently it helped, them, it helped them surrender and relax, yeah. but there was one specific experience, happened to be a bit of a younger guy, I think it was in his 40s, and he was, had been basically comatose, fundamentally comatose for months. I don't know, I think he might have been intubated to feed. I don't really know the details. But they sent me over there um, just because they knew, you know, they just kind of wanted, I think they were experimenting with me, I don't know. But I had that reputation, and he was really a hanger-oner, right? Mm -hmm. So I, really, I, I only did, I think, two sessions with him. And in one of those sessions, I had a kind of spontaneous experience of going into a deeper, you know, the deeper, the dream, the shamanic dream state, yeah. and helping him meet up with a spirit guide, right? That's what happened. It's a psychic experience. You, you know, you, you let them happen. You do your best not to interpret them if you're, you know. You know, you don't talk. I don't, you know, you talk about it when it comes up. You don't like put it on your, put it on your shingle. Yeah. I can help you meet your spirit guide and die happy. No, it just doesn't. You know, I'm just not that kind of guy. Some people would, you know, yeah. some people would. And I said, yeah. you know, if they want it, they want it. So anyway, uh, yeah, and he died the next day. Oh, you wow. know, after months and months of resistance. Wow. So. You know, little things like that are, are pretty nice. Yeah. They're a nice confirmation of the possibilities within the field of healing and wholeness. And, and you know, as long as people keep their noggins in shape and really look, you know, anecdotal is a very real thing. Doctors give a lot of medicine based on functional medicine, yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. Because they... Here something works, like a lot of doctors will give you arnica mm -hmm. if you've got a bruise. Yeah. They don't necessarily believe in homeopathy or know much about it, but they know it works. Yeah. So that's that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 
when you're when you're working with biology, there is a lot of gray area. Double blind studies are one of the ultimate ways to check certain things, but there's some things you can't do that with. Like they couldn't do double blind studies on gunshot victims. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and they. Uh, famously, they can't do double line studies on psychedelics because you can't have a control group. Right. The people know that they're not tripping. Right. <laughs> you know, when they, when yeah. they, you know, are you yeah. having a spiritual experience? <laughs> I took a placebo. I know I did because the, the walls aren't melting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're like me, you'll still have some experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then when you take the psychedelic, you're like, oh no, oh, I yeah. didn't. <laughs> oh no, I didn't. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So I do feel there's a place for that, and I, you know, would like to get into it on a limited basis because yeah. I have issues with my body and you know but but frankly the more I do Jinshin the better I feel yeah the only uh, I have done one session with a friend on the floor I won't do that again mm. Jinshin is best if you've got a comfortable seating especially a Zafu and the person's about you know two feet off the ground and you can kind of be a, it's kind of a traditional Japanese and it's and it's also because it's traditional. You use you keep people's clothes on. You don't have to be naked, mm -hmm. you know. And then you just do a series of pulse points that you feel. You literally feel the energy moving through your fingers and the changes in the energy. It's quite fascinating. Um, I no longer think it's necessarily their pulses. Uh -huh. It very much could be my pulses, but they change. Fast, slow, fast, slow, yeah. and eventually they always even up. And when we get into the there and mine at a certain point, yeah, yeah right. if there's some right. sort of a flow state thing going on, then yeah. yeah. Or, and then occasionally you feel these weird things like a needle going through your arm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, I did these things for years and got it. Yeah. I got it. And yet there is still a kind of doubt. Mm -hmm. And so that doubt was broken. It's a hymen of doubt. The hymen of doubt. Yeah. Right. Well, it's one of those fortunate, just many, many fortunate things happen to people. And, and I feel like the main thing is as much as we can. I'll close with something that a lot of people, two things about meditation that a lot of people don't know. One is if you're sitting um, and you're calm and your breath is calm, it doesn't matter what your mind is doing. People sometimes think they're not meditating if their mind's active. Mm. And that's a blessing when it does quiet down. Mm. But if the body's calm, then the body's meditating and you're meditating. That's okay. Really and a that's lot of people crazy. don't know that. And yeah. so if you're watching your breathing, you're seeing your quiet on a bodily level, it really doesn't matter where your emotions and mind are. And yes, you can embrace those, you can work with those still, but a body meditation is an authentic meditation. Mm. And that, you, that's really good permission yeah. to people yeah. that, that uh, because it's quite, the idea of quieting down the mind, <laughs> Paul's whole take, you know, see it as not, you're not that. Right. The mind is gonna fucking run because of what the mind does. Yeah. It's programmed, it's, it's mechanical, da 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 da. But uh, we, as people with our own little built-in biology and all that, we still want to have some sense of a, a victory, some sense of mm -hmm. a... So if your body's calm, there's your victory. It's a victory. The mind can it's go, an incredible the, victory. The, the mind can go off, yeah. and the benefits that you're getting from a calm body, a steady breath, and all that yeah. is, is well worth 
the sin. Yeah, and, like the meditation and if you read the mind, if you read the brainwaves, things are still happening. Yeah. So there might be activity, but there's other activity in certain centers of the brain that aren't normally active. So it's still happening. I mean, buying and the body and the brain are the same, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, systems. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and the mind will, and emotions will calm down sometimes. And occasionally you'll have these flights of incredible worlds that yeah. you'll meet and then come back and or wisdom, mm -hmm. you know, things will happen. Yeah. They just can't be dependent on. The other thing about meditation that a lot of people don't know, and somehow I skipped over this, but I did want to still mention it, is moment meditation. And it's perfectly authentic. If you have a methodology of some sort, and it does help to have some sort of still a practice, but you just stop wherever you are, when, it, when you remember, eyes open, eyes closed, if you can close your eyes and you need to close your eyes, nice. And then you just take a, take a breath and be, be there as you would if you're in a meditation. And you can just pretend. And seriously, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, up to a minute, don't overdo it. And when you are doing moment meditation, you can you end up doing that many times a day because it keeps coming up and it, you become habituated to it. And that is authentically a practice. You do not have to sit for 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. It can happen on the subway. It happens whenever it happens. And it's still a good practice even if you're doing regular meditation. But nowadays, you know, people are so buzzy, buzzy, buzzy. But the... The trick is, like everything, you have to follow the instinct, the, um, the, impulse. the impulse. Yeah, yeah if you don't follow it and you know that that's all you can do is moment meditation, and you don't follow it, then go back and find it, find out what else you need. Yeah. You know, whatever that is, vacation, yeah. an LSD trip, <laughs> a, a day fast, a tattoo, <laughs> beautiful tattoo. Yeah, so I, you know, I just, there's two things I say about meditation. A lot of people just don't seem to know these No, those are two things. very simple, great gifts that people that are struggling with the idea of meditation exactly. need to hear. Yeah, and seriously, I've spent many years just doing moment meditation. Yeah. Nothing when I go to sleep, nothing when I wake up. Really, my attention, my focused attention is only on these moments through the day sometimes. Nowadays, I do do a lot of media, but when I go to, as I'm going to sleep, there's a lot of practices that are happening. You're the only other person I know that, because uh, uh, Nidra yoga has been a big part of this last year for me. Yeah. And I fucking love it. I'm because I, I put in yeah. 20, 30 minutes, and it's it's like four hours of sleep. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and often I don't, quote, fall asleep. But the, the energetic feeling and the rest and the restoredness I feel after some Nidra yoga is yeah. insane. Yeah, so. if you do your Nidra, you know, as part of your falling asleep, and sometimes it, you'll drift off so fast you don't get much Nidra in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the intention and the relaxation and the, you know, the attention, the intention, the beautiful intention of unity with God, the smile and the feeling of deep be part, you know, and some sort of inquiry will happen and it'll take 
and then you'll kind of half wake up yeah. a dozen times during the night, and then you'll wonder when you wake up in the morning, did I really sleep or was I in you know meditation? And you find if if it's authentic, and it mostly is, you're perfectly rested. Yeah. You weren't, you know, waking up. That hasn't happened to me a lot for years, but it, when I first started Nidra, it really happened a lot. Yeah. And that was kind of interesting, you know? It's very interesting. It reminds me again of like the uh, Tibetan dream yoga, yeah. which is where, you know, you in your waking state, you go, am I dreaming? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you do that a bunch until yeah. it's habitual. And then the, the idea is when you're dreaming, you go, am I dreaming? And then it starts to blur the lines kind of between the two. Yeah. And that can be cool on a practical level of, oh, I can rest now. That's tapping into that yoga nidra yeah. of like, I can rest, you know, and I don't have to be at the whims of this very blunt, I'm asleep, I'm awake. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's time to rest, it's time to shut down, it's time to be awake. And you can tap into this more sort of natural cycle. I feel like that feels more you know, tied into our evolutionary basis of like, when it's time to rest, yeah, you rest when you get the chance to rest. And when it's time to be up and mm -hmm. go and catch the deer and you know, whatever you know, <laughs> pick the berries, it's time to do that. So, yeah, and yeah. you know, as much as you need to rest, if you possibly can get all that rest that you need, yeah. you know, it's, 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 I'm very fortunate that way. I can get almost all the sleep I need every day. Sometimes I need a lot. Once in a while, it's only a couple hours, but yeah. you know, mostly it's long. So yeah, it's you know finding, find you know the key is it sounds a little um, cliche, but the key is there. You follow a teaching and the teacher and the energy of the teaching as you feel attracted to it. Yeah. But then there will be something that arises that asks you just to, to do that. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll only practice that for a day, and sometimes those practices will integrate and go on for years. Yeah, yeah. I feel like what you just said is my best spiritual advice to somebody who, I, I, and I've had a few, I've had people that had no spiritual inclination at all. Mm -hmm. And they ended up at a Paul meeting, <laughs> or they they came to me and they're like, "Hey, you seem really relaxed. <laughs> Do you meditate? Like, what's your secret? Whatever." And when I try to give the most basic, you know, fundamental, clear, concise answer, it's very similar to what you just said. It's something along the lines of, when you get an intuitive hit, that doesn't maybe doesn't quite make sense mm -hmm. to the rational mind. Maybe it you can't quite. It doesn't, you feel like it's almost silly, but it, it tells you like, hey, that somebody you heard, follow it. Just, just see, just entertain it. Use mm -hmm. ball language, entertain it, see mm -hmm. where it goes. And then when you get that intuitive hit that wasn't the voice of the guru or anybody else, and it says, very similar to what you're saying, just, hey, do this. Right. You know, just, just try it. Just, just go for it, don't question it, do it. And do it as long as it feels right, as yeah. long as it feels natural. And, and I can guarantee... You follow that long enough, mm -hmm. There you go. you'll be... That's exactly what I was going to say. You'll be transformed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that everything I've seen is that people who find their way into that, 
there is this treasure box at the end of the rainbow. Yes. There may be another rainbow after that. Yeah, it's at the end of the road. But, but, it's... but there is, there are results that you'll notice that have utterly dissolved some sort of tension in you, and it won't come back. A tension you never could have imagined ever. It was there. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, and sometimes it's some neuroses that you wondered, you know, why you could have it. I mean, you just... That's why it feels like a miracle. It is a miracle. Yeah. It's a miracle of possibility, but don't, you know, don't... Um, don't resist engagement just just as you you know, just don't resist. Yeah. Don't friggin' resist We're giving the, you permission. the natural. Yeah, yeah. The natural stuff. Yeah. I'm not saying don't resist wanting to shoot somebody because it's you know Well there's just a lot of reasons not to shoot somebody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a lot of really good reasons and including it's just not nice. Oh. You wouldn't want a bullet in your you can't body. Take it back. Yeah, yeah, you can take it back. <laughs> yeah. You know. And you'll make mistakes. You, you know, sometimes things will free up, and you'll say something you don't mean to say because yeah. something's freed up, and you're and you're a little kid again. Yeah. Then you make amends. Yeah. It's pretty simple, really, it's in that level. Yeah. You have to be willing to yes. You have to be willing to keep keep Humble making yourself. amends and yeah. check yourself. Yes. And teachers do help, you know, yeah. and good systems do help. I mean, call system. You said most of these people like a no Paul or something. A lot of the listeners know Paul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming to Paul's thing because he's a smart, ethical guy, mm -hmm. and he has said some things that I have found miraculous when he said them to people suffering, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. And then there are other moments where he'll say something cosmic, and I really these are my favorite. And he'll say something so integral, so cosmic, so clear. Because he's usually very, you know, like dog, his dog shit awareness yeah, thing. Yeah, uh -huh. But then it'll come through as a, co a beam of cosmic consciousness, and I'll just go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Because that's what I'm really always waiting. I'm not waiting for it, I enjoy it, but when it's that sharp, yeah. whoa! Yeah, I'll, and I'm I'll, glad it comes through Paul sometimes. Me too. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I've said it also on this podcast, but just for you. <laughs> I, I, uh, I often have this phenomenon where I sit down for a Paul meeting and I go, I don't have any expectations. <laughs> I've heard this fucking guy <laughs> hundreds of times. Right. It's not going to be anything new. And then it, does, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. But somehow, every time a few minutes in, he surprises me. Right. And I go, how could you fucking surprise me again? Why am I surprised again when this has happened the last hundred times? Yeah. And then, and then the, the message is normally, oh, you're home. You've always been home, but you're home. And in such a clear way. And he fucking did it again. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't do it, but you did right. it. We're, you're in this transition <laughs> of, and so, yeah. Yeah, and sacred space will do that, you know, whether Paul's there or some squirrel there is climbing up a tree. Yep, and I've had it up in the Oakland Hills. Or you're sitting on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> or taking a shower, but even sitting on the john. Yep. Driving somewhere. Yes. You know, it's every, every, every moment seems to have that possibility. There is, you know, a very obvious way in which God, if you will, is integrating everything and I know we don't always feel like that and I would say the reason we don't feel like that 
is that's the way it needs to be yeah. for this unfolding to happen. I don't think this is a mistake. For some reason, this mixture of suffering and joy, yeah. you know, is doing something. Yeah, there's something to like... Just don't take it personally as, as little as you can, you know. <laughs> it's just try not to take it too personally. Yeah. And that's harder. The more you're suffering, the more you've been a victim, you know, that's a harder to do. And I would, I would never ask somebody not to be in their victim consciousness when they're feeling that. I, yeah. I respect, work it out as well. you know, because it's heroic to work it out directly. Yeah. But there's also possibilities of change that are miraculous, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're, you and I are, and many of us, you know, are good examples of that. You know, it's really a hero's journey because we came out of horror yeah. and somehow something, it's not just an accident, mm -hmm. but there's an integrity after that. Yeah, I think we both have all the story, all the ammunition to say we're victims and we, you know, mm -hmm. we're unhappy and we're, you know, uh, uh, depressed because of you know a laundry list worth of things yeah. and it is miraculous that regardless no that actually was fuel to the fire for our soul to burn up the bullshit yeah. and leave what's really left yeah. and what's really left is as he points to this <laughs> moment yeah you know. yeah I mean I love my service work with addicts and you know the basic rule of thumb in working in, the, in public domain is to accept people exactly as they are. And then you have something you can give them, and that's limited. Yeah. In my case, it's giving them clean supplies mm -hmm. and access to treatment if they ask for Which it. Which is more than judgmental, you know. No, it's all, scientifically, it's a proven <laughs> thing. The harm reduction is a proven to help. Of course, yeah. Reduces addiction, reduces public health costs. But there's also the attitude mm -hmm. and having people who don't feel comfortable. And that, of course, applies to all the suffering people, including the ones. You know, I really do feel the people that are giving us the most guff and doing the worst jobs and hurting the most people, I do think they're suffering the most. Mm -hmm. And it's a deep, deep pain. Doesn't mean we have to accept their behaviors, but there is something down in there that is just a little kid trying to knock against a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like you said, we could talk forever, but it's been yeah. a blessing. Thank uh, you. I don't remember what philosopher it is. So somebody said the best conversation are left unfinished. <laughs> so we have a whole lot more we can talk about. Yeah, that's we'll fun. have to do around two and three. That's yeah, fun. But uh, you're fantastic, Nor. Thank Thanks, you sweetheart. for your service. I appreciate it. And We'll do it again sometime. Yippee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good.